little touch pass there. Benson waiting, cuts in, he scores! Oh my! Into the middle, holding, back, Toporowski shooting, shot block, got it back, shot, score! Center of pass forward, of stop, shot, back to play, score! In front, Groove scores! Jaden Groove scores the triple overtime winner. Welcome into WHL Unfiltered. Uh, pleased to be joined by Perry Bergson, who uh, covers the, uh, the Brandon Wheat Kings and, and amongst other other sports for the Brandon Sun, and uh, also joined uh, by my co-host Sean Mullen. Uh, how's uh, how's the season been treating you so far, Perry? Well, it uh, you, you don't really have any choice once, as Sean will attest, when he was out on the road with the Broncos. Once the season begins, you just get kind of dragged along, whether you like it or not. Uh, the I get kept pretty busy for eight months by two dozen teenagers who don't belong to me yeah you're not wrong and it's usually that time in mid-august where you're still enjoying the beautiful lake weather and all of a sudden you look at your schedule and go oh wait a minute no 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 not yet and then when you get the weather we have now that's when you feel like hockey again like okay i want to be in the ring because i don't want to be anywhere else yeah, it's funny, you know, I cover baseball all summer, so I spend the summer essentially outside at the ball diamond, love it, love the change of pace, and then eventually it's kind of time to get back to the rink, and by the time camp's on, usually I'm good to go again. I mean, you, you mentioned change of pace, and I take that literally, I mean, as far as, you know, that's that's the hardest thing for baseball for me is it comes after the, the hockey playoffs, and, and nothing's, you know, faster and more intense than than hockey playoffs and then the, to go to baseball I mean that's I would have a tough time with that transition every year well usually hockey's over sometime in April and then baseball doesn't begin here till the end of May so I've got about a month shoulder season to take care of the last of the Wheat King stuff and to start to move into uh, my other season so it's awesome you know what I never forget how lucky I am now in terms of change of pace and change and that whole theme I mean the last time that I stepped foot in uh, that lovely building in Brandon which was maybe my favorite spot to broadcast from in the league it was a very different organization it was still the Kelly McCrimmon show even when he wasn't there anymore physically still owned the team he still had his hands all over the team now it's a completely different Brandon Wheat Kings organization. Uh, and how would you describe how the change has felt, both on and off the ice? Well, you know what? Like, people talk about the change in Brandon. I'm on my fifth GM in my eighth season covering the team. But the change actually started in Brandon when Kelly was walking out the door after they won the 2016 championship. That's when the new coaching staff came into place a new GM, 
And it's just so happened that the last two GMs have both found pro jobs, like Darren Ritchie and Doug Gasper, and, and left pretty quickly. Um, you know, so we're in with Marty Murray now, a team legend. Um, you know, a guy that uh, that I watched play junior hockey 30 years ago. He, he's a good guy. Um, you know what, in terms of the transition with the ownership, Jared Jacobson just brought fresh eyes to things. There's a lot of different things going on. Not all fans are taking it well because, you know, fans are going to be fans and they're going to find things they don't like. But he's spending a lot of money on the team. You know, he upgraded all their facilities here. Uh, when they were in the Regina Hub, he spent extra money bringing them in food from, you know, the keg and stuff like that every night. So from the outside looking in, things seem fine. I mean, but to kind of to Sean's point, I mean, it's just, it just never, it never seemed like there was going to be a, a post-Kelly league or Wheat Kings, and it, and, and also time being a flat circle for everybody in the last few years, and we don't, I mean, it's just, you know, weird for everybody, but, I mean, it's it just, it, I mean, is, is Kelly's, are you, are you kind of always under Kelly's shadow over there, or do you think that, you know, it's been long enough and that kind of turned the page on that? No, it, that shadow is going to be here for a long time. And I actually saw Kelly. He came in one and watched one day at camp. He's still around. Like, he still makes his summer home in Brandon. Um, you know, this is where his family grew up. Um, this is you know, where his wife lives in the winter. Um, but it's always going to be Kelly McCrimmon's organization because they had so much success when he was here. And I think maybe, you know, if I'm Jared Jacobson, I probably bristle at that a little bit early on. But I think he understands, you know, it's no malice on the part of the fans. It's just the fact that Kelly was here for so long and won so many hockey games. Has the on-ice identity of the team, in your mind, changed? With, I mean, he wasn't the coach for quite a while. He wasn't even the GM for a while at the end, but... It was still kind of, you know, the way he built the hockey team. Has has that changed much, or do you find the Wheat Kings are still the Wheat Kings? Well, see, you you bring a more interesting perspective to that than I do probably, Sean, because you watch them from the outside so much. To me, Brandon has always been an organization that really prided itself on its forwards. You know, they, they had some great D here over the years, like no one's forgotten Braden Schneider, who, of course playing so well in New York now but they always seem to draft a lot of forwards and have really high end forwards and I think that that has always remained the focus of the weekends is that something you noticed? Yeah well it was a team that, that came at you in waves typically right? Uh, and a lot of skill, a lot of speed uh, certainly mined Manitoba very well but had had some jam to them, had had a sort of team confidence in a certain way. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm describing it well, but there was a feel for weekend teams. And I, I think you're right. Like there were some real high end D, but typically when I think of the players I remember, uh, they tend to be the ones in in that top six board group. And it always felt like the next ones were right there on the third and fourth line. You could see them coming. You know who I always thought was very similar? Well, first of all, Portland, but uh, second of all, yeah. Medicine Hat. I thought that yeah. they were built in a very similar way, where those, those top two lines would be something else. Medicine Hat was always interesting in that 
they seem to have the same player uh, with different name bars <laughs> that would come in. It, it was always that like five foot eight, five foot nine, super skilled, great shot, um, and that would be like the identity of their forward group. And then their D was always huge. Yeah, so it was it was an interesting way that they built that team, and they did it every year. You're like the the Tyler Ennises of the world. Is that what you're thinking? Curtis Ball and yeah, that 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 type of player. Oh yeah, they had. Like you said, John, they had a new guy like that, a little water bug come in every year, yep, you know, yep. who was going to get you 35 or 40. And see with that, that classic weekend, I mean, you know, obviously I see very little of them, you know, live and, and over the years, but, you know, I'm always thinking of like a, like a Matt Calvert kind of guy or a Jordan Tutu kind of guy personally, you know, that's, that's what I associate with the Wheat Kings. It's interesting. Matt Calvert was a skills coach here last year. But he has just uh, left the team before this season because he and Joe Calgary, who used to be a goalie here, formed a, an agency. Uh, Joe is one of the few NHLPA certified agents in Manitoba. So that's what they're doing now. So Matt is doing a lot of skills-based work and, and running this agency with Joe, which is kind of neat. Because I think with a lot of pro players, and, and Sean, you would see this too because you get to know the guys so well, a lot of guys when they retire are sort of don't know what the next thing is and it took Matt a year but this is probably a real good fit for him so it's interesting you mentioned him I think it's different I don't know I mean this is just anecdotal I think it's different for the guys who didn't plan to be done yet you know if, you, if you're uh, the player that makes it to 35 36 38 you've already started to contemplate what's next right because you're getting to that age and you had to start thinking about it i think i find the guys that all of a sudden realize the hockey opportunities dried up at 29 or 27 or 30 you know they're the ones the first couple years that are going um i'm not i'm not ready for this yet what uh what do i do maybe i'll uh be a skills coach this year and then i'll you know do some media like it's just sort of the not having a plan because it wasn't the plan yet. Well, you see, Matt's career ended early. He was with the Colorado Avalanche, of course, and hurt his back, and he needed back surgery, so that forced him to retire. So I think he probably had anticipated having a few more years left to play hockey. But at the same time, as those guys get older, they can't help but start to think about what's coming next because everybody understands they're not going to be playing hockey at uh, 55 unless the name on the back of their jersey is how <laughs> or Jagger. <laughs> or Jagger. Yeah. yeah. But the the funny thing is though, like these days especially, there's not much time the rest of your life to think about anything else. Because from the time you're eight, you're spending twelve months of the year playing hockey, working out in, in academies, on power skating, you know, doing nutrition, off season, on season. So there, there hasn't been a lot of time for this era, as this generation's hockey player, to think about what else they do. Yeah, I hate that we're going into the 12-month athlete. I, I'm really opposed to that. You know, for instance, the Geeky family, uh, who, of course, Connor is starring with Winnipeg Ice, and uh, and his older brother Morgan's doing pretty well in Seattle in the NHL. He's they on the streak right now. Yeah, they were baseball players in the summer. 
And, you know, it gave them whole different uh, skill sets. You know, when I think of Connor, as much as I think of him as a hockey player, he was also an amazing pitcher because he was a big kid and he threw hard. Uh, boy, oh, boy, I wouldn't have been wanting to bat against him when I was 14 or 15 because he really threw it hard. And, of course, the middle brother, Noah, was drafted by the Calgary Hitman and decided to play college ball. So he's down in the States uh, playing there. He, he chose ball over hockey. Uh, so uh, I just hate that we're at this point now where you have to, you can only be a hockey player. Yeah, I mean, it, you, there's a lot of advantages to the cross-training as far as just, you know, different seeing different things different experiences and even and even physically having different uh you know skill sets that you know one kind of carries over i mean we you know we used to talk a lot about you know adam oates being a great lacrosse player and all that and there's you know and joe newendike and that kind of thing which is you know i mean kind of a more closer you know comparison than say you know baseball to, to hockey but you know it's, it's it can only benefit you to to, to get out there and, and and you know spread out a little bit Ridley Gregg was a provincial level ball player in Alberta. But boy, if you go to their, you know, they have all the team building stuff after camp, you know, before the preseason and all that. Go and watch hockey players play baseball now. It's hilarious. Because most, yeah, most of them have no clue. <laughs> I'm surprised more of them don't play soccer because they're kicking the soccer ball around all the time before games. They did They'd walk in there and, and be, uh, you know, one step ahead of the guys that are beginners anyway. <laughs> At least in Super Bowl, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Wayne Gretzky played baseball. Right. This, this, WHL, this WHL season is starting, uh, I think, with a more normal feeling than it has in a number of years. H has it felt like that for you? You know, kind of once the puck dropped, everything kind of just it went back to some normalcy after some strange years and having to think about all those other things. Now we can just kind of focus on being back at the rink and being back to business as usual. Well, you're seeing bigger crowds now. People seem a little less reluctant to come out. You know, Brandon had a crowd of over 5,000 against Winnipeg a couple of weeks ago, and that was their biggest crowd in a couple of years. That just wasn't going to happen last Well, obviously, the provincial restrictions and that too. But just even the schedule starting on time this year I think there was a psychological element to okay maybe this year things are finally going to go you know like they're supposed to because you think a year ago Brandon played that game against Edmonton with nobody in the stands that was when the province had just come down with some new uh, guidelines so it was me and the uh, game officials <laughs> and the two broadcasters and that was all there was in the building. It was weird. Were you still allowed to be as close to the broadcaster as you usually were? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I sat right. That, that's spinning distance. So. <laughs> I tell everyone I've got the best seat in the league because I sit beside the visiting broadcaster and I hear 21 guys call games. And it's wonderful. Everybody has their own style. Everybody focuses on different things. It's, uh, it's pretty neat, John. It really is. Well, I mean, and I just had American guys starting to come through. So I just had Casey from Everett and uh, Westy from Tri City. Uh, it's awesome. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I bet you and Craig. I bet you and Craig can talk hockey for quite a while. <laughs> Craig is fantastic, isn't he? He's just such a good guy. Um, when Craig starts telling a story, you're going to be there for a bit. But uh, he is a he's a great storyteller. I, I enjoy it. I wish that I saw him more often because it's only every two years. Well, when things are going well, it's every two years. It's been four years uh, under the current uh, system since we've seen the American teams. Yeah, and then the contrast there of, uh, you know, Casey and Everett being, you know, all, all, all of which friends of the show, but, you know, as far as his his first tour to see these ranks, and, you know, you can tell he's excited about it, you know, and the, all the history, you know, with these some of these proud Western League franchises. and So it's kind of like, you know, both, both ends of the spectrum there. It's a question I've started to ask the players now, how much they enjoy walking into a new rink for the first time. I remember when I was a little guy just playing in these little regional tournaments that we did. It was always so neat to walk into a building, see what the room looked like, and where's the canteen, and how much does stuff cost, and how many seats are there, and how cold is it, and all that stuff. And these guys love it, too. Uh, I talked to Kai Gruet of the Everett Silver Tips for tomorrow's WHL Notebook, my weekly column. And he said, when he gets into a new rink, he always takes a picture because he wants that memory. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I, I'd always kind of wished I'd done something like that. Uh, it, my first year or two, I did little videos of the broadcast booth area. And then, then kind of as I sensed the writing on the wall in my last year, Every time I went somewhere for what might be the last time, I started to snap pictures, but didn't get to for every place. But it, yeah, I mean, you take for granted that you're in all these places and get to see them all the time. And for the players, it might only be once. Yeah, yeah. You know, I hate that. Like a Ron Seely from Everett, I got to see him once as a 17 year old. That's sort of the impact of COVID and the teams not coming out here. I wish there was a way, and it'll never work out, where every team visited every market every year. But financially, and just with all these kids in school, I don't think we'll ever see it. Well, you know, we we couldn't have a, a Western League-centric podcast without talking about Connor Bedard at some point, and I'm not ever going to get to see him play in this league. So, I mean, it's it's uh, it's, it's it's one of the one of the drawbacks, and that's partially, you know, I would have theoretically saw him the year before if we would have had that but you know it's just uh, the, the luck of the draw there what a shame he is so special Chad you know he's just standing still and he's like a shark in the water just all of a sudden he gets moving and when he shoots the puck uh, it stays shot for a while he hits it hard He is, he's just so special you never you know, know though Chad Arizona might send them back until their arena is built. They want to waste those entry level years when they're still playing in front of four thousand people. Or to, you know, save uh, save on cap space too, or something probably. Yeah. I don't. I don't know how you would keep him out of the NHL. He is that special, guys. He really is. In, in terms of you mentioned the five thousand plus fans that came out for the Brandon Winnipeg game. How has that rivalry developed? Because it's been, you know, ages that I think the Wheat Kings would have loved to have uh, a partner in Manitoba for the rivalry, for the travel, all those things. 
how has that developed? Uh, has the the animosity and the emotion of that rivalry built pretty quickly? Oh, 100%. When they started in 1920 already, right off the hop, those games were super emotional. Um, you know, they pretty much split that season. Then they went into the Regina Hub, and Brandon won all the games. And then Winnipeg pretty much beat the brakes off Brandon last year, and they've won all the games this year, too. Um, but, of course, they're in their window right now, which might extend one more year. But, no, it, it's really a heated rivalry. Those teams hate each other. It's it's quite apparent. Uh, it's just funny it happens so fast, and it's just sort of a nonsensical geographic rivalry. I guess, plus, they play each other ten times, which seems like a lot. Yeah, we certainly have that out here with... Uh Seattle and Portland, and they played Friday and Saturday, and those games were, were a little testy. And a little testy in the stands up there in, in Kent, apparently, Saturday night, but that's neither here nor there. But. Well, and part of that, too, with, with Winnipeg and, and Brandon is, you know, I think a, a key ingredient there is both teams being good at the same time, and that really kind of contributes. When, when you're at different points in the cycle, it can be hard to hard to get a rivalry going. Yeah, and that's what we saw in 1920. And I think also in the Regina Hub as well in the you know, short 24-game uh, 2021 season. Last year, Winnipeg was a lot better team, and probably they are this year too. Um, they're, they're a good group. Like I know you guys probably get a chance to watch them on WHL Live, and your eye tends to get attracted to the Savoys and Geeky and McLennan, who seems to be in his 11th year in the league. Um, he's just a little water bug. He's a hoot to watch. But you know what? If you're watching guys, watch Ben Zlotty. He's one of those guys who's under the radar a little bit. Or uh, maybe an Evan Friesen. Like, you know, everybody's watching Zach Benson, too. He's the young guy that's going to go so high in the draft this year. But they've got so many players who are so quietly affected behind all the noisy ones at the top of the lineup. That's, I think, what really makes that lineup uh, hum. They're a good team. From what you've seen this year so far, uh, who do you think can keep pace with them? Uh, I mean, clearly you look at the standings. There's Red Deer, there's Saskatoon, but are there some teams that you've seen that have come in in person that you thought, oh, they're going to have to watch out for these guys? Red Deer comes in here on Remembrance Day. So I'll see them on Friday. That's the thing that I'm really curious about because I think when Winnipeg got into the playoffs last year and faced Edmonton, you sort of got the sense that they got beat around a little bit in that series. And based on every Sutter team that I've ever watched, probably, and based on last year's playoffs too, uh, Red Deer beat Brandon in six games. I'm guessing that Red Deer's probably a pretty big, physical, heavy team again. So... I'm going to be interested to see how those two teams match up that way. You know, if Winnipeg's skill can prevail or if Red Deer's uh, big, heavy play can kind of take them out of their game a little bit. But it's going to be fun. Those are two very good teams. What's your sense of Seattle, Chad? Well, you know, they've uh, they started out pretty hot, you know, and it, coming into the weekend with that, home at home I mean it was kind of a 
you know, ir irresistible force, immovable object, and those games weren't even particularly close. Portland just handled them, which I thought was was really interesting, you know. But you know, I don't think that's an in indictment on the the rest of the the, the year for him. I think that Sachin kid is going to have a, a a good year. I mean, we'll see. You know, to to me, I don't I don't know who makes these decisions, but you know, I don't think it makes sense to keep Prokop in the in the Coast League. Uh, you know, and and uh, Seattle acquired his rights, and I think they gave up quite a bit for it for an overager that may or may not come to town. I think I think they're poised to 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 do some damage and make another another run this year. And you know, experience is so playoff experience is so hard to come by in this league. And then especially, you know, what we've been through over the last couple of years, and and they have it. And so I think you want to, you know, if you're if you're the Thunderbirds, I think you want to jump on that. But I know they're they're kind of they're kind of licking their their wounds after after this weekend, you know, for, for for sure. Well, I just saw Everett, so they're fresh in my mind. That was a team I really liked too, because they've kind of got the big heavy guys and a lot of skill, don't they? They do. I mean, I I haven't seen them. Yeah, that's funny. You you've seen the Silver Tips live, and I haven't uh, this year. But uh, you know, and you keep thinking that that window is going to close. You know, after you know they were they were loaded for bear when when the when everything shut down and we didn't have playoffs. And I think they went twenty and two in the in the uh, in, in the, the 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 hub season. And you know, you think you think that they're gonna they're gonna graduate guys, and and they just seem to, they just seem to keep coming back and. But you know, also a pretty pretty top heavy division out here. So, you know, they're they're gonna they're gonna make their presence felt over the the, the course of the season too. I think. Interesting thing with Everett too, when you look at at the organization, and I've talked about them a few times, but it, I just find it so impressive because they don't. You know, a lot of times when you have a team that's been consistently near the top every year, because they've had the same people you know, the same GM or the same coach or the, something like that. And, you know, Everett's gone through a few different eras of of top hockey executives and, and coaches, and they just are always there, first, second, or third. Very rarely, if ever, rebuild. I don't know what it is about. I mean, it's obviously a place people want to play, but there's just something about the structure of that organization that's allowed them to be so consistently successful. I think one of the things, just looking from the outside in, you know, they've been top two in the Western Conference for, what is it, five years now, six years? Um, they have done a terrific job of trading top picks and then finding guys with fifth-rounders, sixth-rounders, eighth-rounders, tenth-rounders. They have uncovered some really good players at bargain prices. So you have to give their scouting staff... Uh, some big, big congratulations because they just keep finding players, don't they? Yeah, yeah, and a, and a, and a lot of that starts in in uh, in goal. I mean, they have you know such a long you know line of of you know fancy goaltenders, and you know eventually that's you're, you're eventually you're just going to get a couple of average guys in there because you can't you, know, you can't keep finding these these all stars over and over and over, but. But yet they do, you know, and eventually they're going to be the, you know, I mean, they're the kind of the the New England Patriots of of Western League goaltending, and you know, eventually Brady's going to move on, and then they're going to have to, and then I don't know what happens there, but you know, that clock has not struck midnight in a lot of years on that one. 
and I was, was going to say too, Perry, you're going to mention the scouting for Everett, and you have to mention uh, Brandon's own Mike Frazier, who's their uh, assistant GM now, formerly their head scout, who, who's obviously a part of doing a great job with that organization. Yep, former Brandon's son sports guy. I worked with him a long time ago. So you taught him everything he knows. I taught him nothing he knows. All, <laughs> all I have learned about hockey guys from spending a lot of time around hockey guys is that I know nothing about the game. They watch a completely different game than we do. You know, they focus in on stuff that we don't even know. It's incredible. When you talk to veteran hockey guys, I'm blown away by the stuff they notice that would never even occur to me. I, I, I got to start trying. I have to say, like, talking to coaches every day, uh, pre and post game, and buses and all that kind of stuff, and, and not that, like, I broke down video with them, but just the things that they think about. I, I think it does cause you to watch the game differently. And I've kind of drifted away from it now that I've been away from doing that for three or four years, and I watch it a little more like a fan again. But you definitely, when when you talk to them all the time, I don't know if you find this very as someone in the media, you definitely watch the game a lot more critically in an, in a very different way. Um, as you get exposed to the way uh, the hockey people think about it. You do, and you become a lot less puck-focused. Hmm? You know, you, you don't just watch the puck go around the ice. You're watching, you know, is there support behind the puck? And, you know, who's high and who's low? And, you know, how's that guy doing in his battles along the boards? And there's just a million things. You know, how's that guy skating? It's incredible how much they pick up watching the same game I do. I did have to be a little more puck focused than you, probably. Yeah, but I mean, you know what I mean with hockey <laughs> yes. guys, though, they're yeah, less absolutely. focused than fans are. Yeah, and then, no, my joke. Go ahead. Well, go ahead. Well, I was no, my joke been that Canadian hockey fans watch the games like they might be named GM tomorrow, and they're watching yeah. their guys. Where American fans go to have a couple beers and enjoy themselves. I always love too when, like you, you know that coaches are watching a different game, when fans or a media member or someone will be like, "Oh, this guy had a great game. He had uh, two assists and uh, he was plus three. and the coach will roll their eyes because they hated his game, right? Because the assists happened; they were second assists, or they were just a couple of good plays. But overall, he played terribly. You know. We, we can get so caught up in the one or two highlights, but the coach is watching the overall performance and thinking to themselves, how much did that guy give me uh, anxiety? <laughs> yeah, we, we don't see those missed defensive assignments and the bad positioning and stuff like they do. But then, you know, of course we're not going to because we don't necessarily understand that that guy has to be in that spot right there. He can't be 18 inches to the left. You know what I mean? Well, what I was going to say earlier, like, I, me personally, I've been watching the games in a, a different part of the rink, and it's it's an entirely different experience. It's, you know, it's it's been, the, the, the fan in me is, is, it prefers it, and it's, again, like, like you're saying, Perry, you're just kind of kicking back and, and, and having fun and watching, watching some goals, but the the uh the analyst in me the quasi media side of me kind of suffers because then i'm not getting 
I'm not getting as good of a feel for, uh, for for things, you know, as I would if I was sitting, you know, higher up and where it slows the game down a little bit. So it's kind of, you know, I've just been thinking about that kind of difference in, uh, in, in in how we consume the the game and in, in, in different, even just in different uh, vantage points. You know, something I have started to do well, a couple of years ago, I would ask the visiting broadcaster, okay, who's a guy that's not one of the main guys that I should watch for a few shifts. Just focus on this guy and don't watch the puck, watch this guy go around the ice. And I find that that's pretty interesting and I would recommend that to fans. Pick a guy on the opposing team. Don't do it with your team because you see those guys all the time. But pick somebody on the other team and just watch them play. And I found that really neat and that maybe takes me one step closer to uh, to being a hockey guy, which I will never be. I really like doing that with um, the prospects that are close. Uh, it, you know, not necessarily the the first round or you know top five pick, but the the guys who are you know second or third rounders who are seventeen who are starting to come into their own, but the numbers aren't quite there yet. I like watching them to see where they're at. Like, do they feel like they're almost there? Do they feel like they're catching on? And there's sometimes you can watch those guys and and see them and go that guy's about two months away from really catching fire and th- that's that's fun to watch. One of my pet theories with young players is the the great plays that they make. You know the the moments that they really shine. That's who you hope they become all the time at 19 or 20. You just see glimpses of it at 16 or 17 because they don't have the confidence, the game is still going too fast for them. But when the game slows down, they get more physically mature. If they can turn into that player, then you probably develop them really well. So we're kind of ways into this. Uh, presumably there will be Wheat Kings fans listening, you know, folks that, you know, read your work in the, in the paper, Perry. And I don't think we've really delved into the on ice product of the of, of this year's Wheat Kings. Who are some of the who are some of the guys that are that, you know really pushing things for for Brandon when they're when they're having success? Well, it's interesting. I asked five questions in a story before the season. The five questions that had to be answered about the Brandon Wheat Kings. And the first one was about their goaltending because they only had 23 games of WHL experience coming into this season. Now, their starting goalie is a young man named Carson Bjarnason out of Carberry, which is very close to Brandon. He was undrafted because he was about 5'10", 5'11", around draft time, grew three inches that summer, has kept growing since, and Brandon listed him the next fall. Well, he's been terrific. If Carson Bjarnason isn't playing as well as they, as well as he is, they're in real trouble. You know, they're a sub-500 team with a goalie with a save percentage of uh, 925. That tells you a lot, doesn't it? Like, this guy is a real high-end NHL prospect right now. Um, Nick Jones is the backup. He has... I, I don't think that Nick has played his best game yet. I think he's a real talented young man. And I think that once he finds his confidence, you know, then uh, there'll be less reluctant to put him in net. But the big thing 
even bigger maybe than that was they brought some 2004s in because of course they made the deal to the 2018 trade deadline and they had three first rounders 2021 and those three guys step into the lineup this year so that is Charlie Alec, highly touted defenseman, Roger McQueen, a forward, and Caleb Hadland, kind of a multi-purpose forward who shows no fear as a 16-year-old. It's incredible. Uh, those three have all played well, and Brandon has really missed them while they're at the U-17 Challenge. Um, but they also had, like, this was a big rookie class for them. They had eight rookie players, if you can imagine, uh, Easton Maddox on the blue line, uh, Evan Graining up front, Tatum Trembecki, those two are both 17. And then they brought a kid in from the SJ named Matt Henry. He played uh, in the Battleford North Stars in the SJHL last year, fought everybody who would even consider it. <laughs> Tough kid. He's, uh, he's almost, he's like a fire hydrant. He's about. Six six one maybe, two ten. He's fought a bunch this season. Real popular teammate, great kid, and then kind of an interesting thing, guys. Sorry, this is a bit of an aside, but when they were in Vancouver, his uncle is the president of the BC Métis Federation. He's a Métis kid from Prince Albert, so they honored him with a sash after the game, and also gave one to Wheat Kings coach Don McGilvery because essentially they were entrusting Matt to Dawn to raise, right? Uh, so that was a real fantastic story. And then, you know, I delved deeper into Matt's backstory, single father who sacrificed a lot to get him into the game, uh, he and his brother, uh, just a fantastic story. And as so many tough players are, just a salt of the earth guy off the ice, it's really fantastic. So to continue with my questions, um, another one was uh, they graduated Vincent Iorio and Chad Nychuk, which was their top pairing last year. You know, a couple of real one-two defensemen. And I think they're still struggling to find their way. They didn't have a lot of experience back there. And it's not been quite as strong on the defensive end as they might have hoped. They were lucky that they got Andre Malyevin out of the OHL. He was a kid that was waived and ended up in Brandon through the import draft. He's been very good for them. They would be lost without him. And, uh, you know, they've got good minutes from their rookie class. That was one of the other things I asked about. But the other thing was replacing Ridley Gregg. You know, Ridley only played about a half season last year due to some injuries, but he was a real spark in the dressing room and a real spark offensively. Like, he averaged two points a game last year. And I'm not sure that they have completely found that. This is a team that's created a lot of offense this year and hits posts. They've got goalies making great saves on them. They missed the net by three inches. I've never seen a team create so much and get rewarded so little. So those were some of the things that you know we looked at coming into this season. And that's sort of the tail of the tape so far through, what is it, 15, 16 games? It seems like in the conference, there's, you know, a few teams at the top. I don't know if Moose Job might might shake loose a little bit, but a few teams at the top, and then just a huge group kind of smushed together, which could make for a fun playoff race. Is that kind of how you see it? Does it seem like it's going to be tough to find separation from, like, 
team four or five all the way down to, you know, 11? Well, you guys have been watching the WHL for a lot of years. And I would suggest what happens every season to watch for is you always seem to have three or four teams emerge as the elite teams. Sometimes it's fewer, sometimes it's more, generally about three or four. Then you generally have two, three, four teams at the bottom, right? Uh, the teams that are out of the playoffs, you know, by the beginning of November. <laughs> then you have the mushy middle. And Brandon was one of those teams that was in the mushy middle. And I just wasn't sure, you know, whether they would be closer to the top or closer to the bottom. It was too hard to read the rest of the league. But, you know, the way that the separation that you're getting with the Red Deers and the Winnipegs in the east and in the uh, in the west with the Portlands and Everett's and Kamloops, Seattle, it, it's really hard for me to read what's going to happen with this year's Brandon Club. You know, Perry, you mentioned having three guys away at the at the U-17s off the same club. That that seems like a lot and also something to be excited about, you know, going forward with whatever whatever kind of production you can get out of, you know, even even a good 16-year-old at this league is, you know, I mean, maybe aside from Nolan Patrick, but, you know, other than that, I mean, it's hard to get good production out of these guys and to have, have three guys playing for for Canada at, at you know as as 16 year old rookies in this league I mean that has to be you know especially a knowledgeable fan base like the the, the Wheat Kings have I mean that's got to be pretty exciting yeah you know Charlie Ellick is a really really highly touted defensive prospect uh, Roger McQueen might not have been the most popular pick in Brandon because Clark Caswell who's from Brandon was kind of right behind him in the draft and he ended up going to Swift along with defenseman Josh Fluker, who's from this area as well. But Roger McQueen is 16. He's six foot four and 182 pounds and incredibly skilled. How many times do you see that, guys? Not very often. That It's a really unique blend of talents. And then again, Caleb Hadlin, you know, he's just a dynamo. He hits somebody every time he's on the ice. He's got good hands, uh, terrific leadership. He For the uh, WHL Cup, he was a uh, Alberta's captain. So there's obviously some leadership there. You know, they really do miss those three guys. They, they provide a lot of depth. And uh, Charlie Alec is already eating up some big minutes on the back end. And, um, well, you mentioned Caswell and Fluker, and, you know, they look like they're going to be staples for the Broncos. Fluker's numbers ha haven't translated to the league yet, but he's 16, and he's a pretty composed D out there. And Caswell looks like a second year at least, and he, he can hang with the top six forwards and is very... Uh, does not look out of place at all. So they're going to be big fixtures, I think, for Swift Drink going forward. Broncos, part, part of the success they've had with this era of the Broncos has been being willing to go to Manitoba. You know, a, a long time it's been a long time where the Wheat Kings got the best of those guys and and uh, Swift Current was often very focused on Alberta, but uh, they've they've got some big finds in Manitoba under this uh, new era. You do realize the GM lives in Brandon, right? <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> hurt. 
<laughs> I used to see him at U18 games watching Clark Caswell, who was very impactful at that level last year, too. Uh, good, good dude, Chet. Yeah, he really is. And, and it was nice to see, you know, I didn't anticipate the Broncos ever being in a position where they had a GM and a head coach. But then when you had two guys who, you know, were kind of just coming up the ladder and coming up the ladder and pushing at the door, I'm, I'm glad they got an opportunity to do it. You know, it's, it's not the tradition of how most Western Hockey League uh, major hirings are made these days. The guy climbing up the ladder from the other levels. But I'm glad it's worked out for them, and I hope it, it continues to. Have you seen them much this year? A handful. Probably half the home games so far. Tell me about them, because I was kind of hopeful that they would uh, make a little more of a jump this year. Has it just been a slow start, or is that going to be what it is? They were. They had a whole bunch of guys away at Pro Camp, which I think is quite disruptive. As much as you, you love it, it is quite disruptive, because you don't really get as much time to to work on what you want to work on and and develop line chemistry and and all that kind of stuff. And then guys come back and they get readjusted. I, I, I think they were a little out of sorts to start. They were a little young um, and error-prone on D, and they missed McGinley. He was hurt. They brought in a veteran from Regina as well. Um, but they were playing a lot of games where they made one mistake too many. You know, it took too many penalties. It gave up a goal late. Lost a, a few games giving up a goal in the last you know, two to five minutes. So I think a team mentally maybe that was struggling with the transition from being the team nobody expected anything from for the last four seasons to the team now that had some eyes on them. You know, five drafted players seven or eight invited to NHL camps. This is the year the Broncos are supposed to make that transition back to a playoff team. Um, you know, maybe struggled with that a little bit. Their goaltenders had a hard time. And Isaac Coulter was so steady for them last season. And you kind of underestimate how important that is sometimes when you move on from that goaltender. That just gives you a chance to win every night. Um, but they started to find it. They're still giving up too many goals, but they've started to find their, their rhythm offensively, and there's so much talent on that team. They're going to be fun to watch, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens in net because they've got three goalies there right now, a 20-year-old and two somewhat younger guys. And if the 20-year-old doesn't outplay the younger guys, then you can always use another overager on the ice. So we'll see what happens. It's interesting with teams that aren't having a lot of success, and I, I consider Brandon to be in that grouping, where it, it, there's almost sort of a fragility that, that kind of comes into their play where they make the mistake and it ends up in the back of the net, or they take that ill-advised penalty behind the other team's net and it ends up in the back of their net. Um, you know, Brandon's power play has been terrible. Their penalty killing was very good, but it's just been push too much this year. But, Chad, while I got you here, you're my Portland guy. Tell me about the Portland Winterhawks. Well, they're kind of firing on all, all cylinders. I mean, they, uh, you know, they're sitting at 11-1, 1-1 one, one one at the moment. Uh, they, they have 
have a hard time holding sounds on like the lead. Sounds like a pizza phone number. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and they got the Buttazzoni, <laughs> and they got, you know, uh, Cagnoni, and they also have, uh, you know, the, in in goal with. Uh, but yeah, they uh, so they got they they've got pizzas, but um, yeah, it's 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 interesting because they usually you talk about starting slow, right? And typically they they do, and not this year, and. You know, they got a guy, you know, competing for the, the Cy Young in Gabe Clausen with, uh, I think he's like 13 goals and four assists and, you know, 11 games or something like that. And, you know, so they don't have the star power, but they got a they got a real solid back end. They got, you know, two draft-eligible defensemen. One guy I saw in a, in a Cagnoni listed uh, top ra- uh, first round. Yeah, by a, a scouting service that I honestly wasn't familiar with before today. But so yeah, they're again they're having a hard time holding on to leads. But maybe that's just kind of junior hockey in, in general. <laughs> you know, like you give up some goals. But and and if that's if that's the uh, the the biggest problem you have that you know a, a team with uh, one loss in regulation at this point of the year, then uh, then you know so be it. That's a thing you can work on. But. No, they've been uh, they've been a lot of fun, and to, to, to see what they've done so so far this year. Is it a surprise? Like, are they here ahead of schedule, or or what was your what did you anticipate coming into the season? Well, you know, I mean, I'll be honest, I had a, I had a hard time reading it, you know, and you know, I, I think a lot of us are just we're just used to Portland having those those household names, you know, the, that star power that they seem seemingly always have and you know again they they just kind of don't right now i mean you know is is gabe clausen a a a household you know name in in this league even you know scoring over a goal a game so far i mean probably not you know robbie from delorme is like leading them in, in scoring right now i think uh i really like this this new end kid out of calgary i you know he's the fifth or sixth leading scorer but to me i think he's kind of the mvp just you know, kind of the way he he starts plays and and, and can shift momentum, and yeah, you know, I don't think people are talking about a lot of these guys. And so, you know, you you're used to, you know, the McCleary kid, you know, from you know from Swift Current. He's uh, you know, he's playing a a a ton of minutes on that back end, you know, and kind of developing into a, a good two way defenseman. And but yeah, I mean, coming into the to answer your question, Perry. I mean, coming into the year, I I didn't really know what to what to make of them and turn you know then you, you watch a couple of games and and uh and and they seem to have the the, the ship pointed in the in the in the correct direction that's for sure yeah and that's without my guy tyson bozak returning uh is he went pro he's a area guy here that i've been talking to for years real good player yeah, exactly. Which kind of highlights what I was saying about you know who 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 are these guys and and it's kind of a you know I imagine that it, that every team probably has a, some of this too just because the nature of you know the last couple of years. But you know I mean again we had guys that you know in their in their key you know sixteen seventeen eighteen years this is when you know we were just watching them on video and we weren't going to the rink and and so then it's. It's it's almost like they they parachute in as as a fully formed nineteen year old and then okay let's see let's see what we have now and so it's a it's it's you know for for a lot of us as fans it was kind of it was a test that we didn't 
really have a way to study for it, and and and, and here it is. As far as you know, this is this is the answer key now. You know, if 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 that makes any sense. But so I think a lot of these guys kind of were developing, you know, almost in the in the dark, and then and then now we now we turn on the lights and see what they have, and and with uh, with whatever you know, Mike Johnson was was doing here. These uh, and and his staff, they've they're uh, you know the, the the crops are the crops are coming in. He's turned out a lot of good players over the years out of that program. Like you say, somebody seems to step up every year, two or three of them. It's a little unexpected. And that's really what it takes to beat it in this league. So, so as we get closer to closer the, uh, the end yeah. of our chat, which we could always go forever and ever, Pat, and hockey with you, I think it's going to be the most asked question probably around the league as we head towards January, and will be asked again and again and again throughout the process. What do you think will happen with Connor Bedard, and what do you think should happen with Connor Bedard? As we look at the Regina Pats, again, hovering around that 7-8-9 mark in the standings, not a team that appears poised to be a contender, and knowing that he's likely on his, well, 99% on his way out of the league after this year. You hate to trade the guy that will be picked first overall, but you hate to lose him without really contending. What do you think? You know, it's one of those questions that I'm of two minds of. Uh, of course, Nolan Patrick was here in his draft year when it looked like he might be number one. Nolan's had a lot of bad luck in the NHL since, but that doesn't change. That year, there were all kinds of rumors on the internet that he was going to be traded. So I went to Nolan and I said, Nolan, did Jasper trade? And he said, no. And I went to Grand Armstrong, who was a GM at the time, and I said, you're going to trade Nolan? And he said, no. And of course, nobody on the internet believed me anyway. Their thing was, sometimes you have to have these players go through your system and stay lifetime players with your team. There's a certain kind of I don't know, shine that comes from that, from not trading the guy, even though you're going to get a king's ransom for him. And I get that. But at the same time, Regina, since they, what was it, 2018, that they were in the final last? Or was it 17? I'm getting mixed up now. Um, you know, they've struggled a little bit, and boy, oh boy, you could get a king's ransom of picks for a Connor Bedard, couldn't you? It would speed things up in a hurry. So that's the two things you're balancing. Apparently, John Paddock, uh, Regina GM, has been pretty unequivocal so far in saying Connor Bedard is going to be a Regina Pat this year. Well, you know, I'd love to have, well, we probably will have, you know, Rob Vanstone on talk about his new his new award. He just won with the Bob Ridley Award. But, you know, you go back to, uh, you know, I wonder if they still have conversations in the Queen City about Jordan Eberle. And yeah, maybe his NHL career didn't work out the way that that we thought it would. But you think about how valuable he was on the on the Pats and World Juniors that year. And I remember there's you know a lot of a lot of discussion on what Regina should have done there. And you know what? They, I'll tell I'll tell you they do they do still have that conversation. Yeah, I've I've heard it. I've heard it every year. I think since I first started covering the Western Hockey League, and certainly with Bedard. Uh, that whole thing has come up again. It was it was Everly and Tuber, and I believe the Pats finished ninth that year. 
just outside of the playoffs, and that ended up being that really what really stuck in the craw of some Regina fans that wanted them great. Yeah, and you know, and and obviously, you know, it's it's Bedard is a different caliber, but at the same time, I mean, back then, I mean, yeah, these were, you know, top notch blue chip, you know, guys, and what did they did they gain anything? Did, did the guys did, like you're saying, Sean? Did the, the Regina fans look back and say, well? I mean, yeah, we could have had a bunch of picks, but you know, at least those guys finished their career here. I mean, you know, I, 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 I'm sure that uh, that that comes to mind. Absolutely, and you know, interestingly enough, I heard that Brandon was hot and heavy in the uh, Everly talks, and then he came back to Brandon shortly after the World Juniors and scored his 50th goal in Brandon. And guys, think about this for a second: the Brandon crowd gave him a standing ovation. <laughs> When's the last time you saw that at a junior game? That's yeah. what World Juniors meant. I mean, it, it. You know, I don't know if it will uh, to that degree again, but it's certainly what it meant. I, as as for the Bedard situation, I I might be a broken record on this, but I I think sometimes, you know, whether we're talking about it or fans are talking about it or whoever, we forget from. Um, a promotional side, uh, a pride organizational pride side. What it means to the organization to have a guy who, you know, they're talking about him like he could be McDavid or Crosby or that type of player. Who've had him be announced as from the Regina Pats in the Western Hockey League when he's drafted. I think that's a really hard thing to give up. Um, and knowing what that could mean for the long term, you know, to, to see that clip played for 20, 30, 40 years from now. The other thing is behind the scenes, you and I both saw this a lot over the years, Sean, is when kids get dealt, fans don't see the tears. No. <laughs> you know, fans don't see the kids going and, you know, crying when they talk to the office staff, stuff like that. You know, everybody wants everybody traded all the time, but they're teenagers. And maybe that's one more reason to you keep an, uh, you know, a Bedard there. Well, and you don't know what promises were made, right? That's another thing. They're never going to say that. But you don't know what the conversations were when they initially made the, the draft pick and, and signed him. You know, they might have said, you're going to be in one place. Who knows? Uh, and, and if you do say that, you have to honor that. Right. So much of what goes on behind the scenes, you know, fans have questions. I, I've never seen a lot of decisions made by WHL GMs that didn't have sound reasoning behind them. That doesn't mean that they work out, but they're well thought out. There's not a lot of seat of the pants stuff goes on. You probably saw that in uh, in Swift, Sean. No, a hundred percent. And a lot of the times when when you're going, why did they do this? Or this makes no sense. There's something they can't say. And that's one thing about junior hockey versus the pros. You know, when when there's something they can't say, there's something like unique to the situation about that player or about their contract or about whatever the case may be. Um, you often don't hear that in junior hockey because they're teenagers 
whereas at the pro ranks, there's an expectation that, you know, um, if there's a condition of the contract, you're going to find out about it. And those types of things behind the scenes, you know, trade requests or um, personality conflicts or uh, conditions in the contract they've signed or promises that happen behind the scenes, those types of things, especially because they're teenagers, we don't hear about them. Or if we do, we don't report on them. That's the great stuff the GM tells me a year later. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or, or, or and says, if you report on this, you'll never hear anything else. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, and in, in this case, I mean, Bedard at being 17, or at least hockey age 17, he's presumably still in high school. And aren't we still under the uh, working under the rules of, of high school players have to agree to be traded? Absolutely, we are. Yeah. So yeah. So at that point, I mean, a little rule. Yeah. <laughs> it, right. So at that point, he's playing with house money because you know if it comes up, you know he he has the the final say on, you know whether he wants to stay there or if you look at it like I have experienced Regina, so it's time to move on. So I mean, he's kind of playing with house money a little <laughs> bit. Yeah. I honestly believe that he'll be a Regina Pat at the end of the year. As bad as fans are going to be at this anymore. Or, so, you know, after all this talk, what would be really wild is if they went on a run. They kind of got hot towards the end of the year. The young guys developed, and, you know, they they knocked somebody off in the first round and just kind of had a Cinderella thing. That I would be fun for the league. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people that in Swift Current certainly listened to me talking about the Regina Pats having a run and grown. Um, but I think it would be a lot of fun. Oh, the eyes of the hockey world would be on Regina, quite honestly. If they got into a second or third round, you know, a lot of things have to happen, obviously. But Connor Bittard is such a game-breaker. Like I said earlier, you know, you don't notice him for a minute, and then he does something, you know, he makes a pass that it's like, how on earth did you even see that? Like that's well, do you that I covered in Prince Albert? Uh, it's amazing. Or, or do you look at it a, a, a different way entirely, and almost like being the host team that they figure if they got one shot with this kid, that even though they're you know not a particularly strong team from wins and losses, do they add a piece or two to try to? to try to get an upset in the first round, you know, being how you only have these generational talents so long and it's, you know, it's going the, the wrong way in their, in their curve, but you just kind of roll the dice and say to hell with it. Well, you don't want to end up as a seven, eight this year on either side because you're going to be facing a real, real good one or two. So if you can get away from Winnipeg and Red Deer in the first round, who knows? That in that mushy middle, anything could happen. I think that was a, a thought process. Certainly, like before last season, they traded a first round pick before last season to try to upgrade the roster. Six, seven, eight to make a huge investment after having done that at the Memorial Cup, but for through the leader over again, uh, I can't picture it. I just can't. Remember, Regina still has an impactful player coming back into their lineup potentially in Zach Stringer. 
who's been out all season. You know, he should be back next month, and you know, it'd be nice to see him have some success. Yeah, and like you, we talked about earlier. I mean, the the way that the the standings as they sit now, obviously, are going to change as time goes on. But you know, it a, a couple of wins will leapfrog you, you know, three four spots. You know, real real quick. If you have you have a good weekend, you could you could move up considerably in the standings. You know, that's you know, and if you you were able to add a piece that you already have, like you're saying, Perry. I mean, that could that could you know make some hay. Well. In the Eastern Conference, like playing Saskatoon is in third right now, Moose Jaw's in fourth. Neither of those are any fun. Those, those would be tough teams to play. Those are both very, very good clubs. But I'll tell you what, I'd rather be playing them than Winnipeg or Red So we've kept you for a while. I know you talked about uh, getting on and doing some, some actual you know, paying work rather than uh, giving us your time. You uh you got uh some some pieces coming up in the in the sun that we should be watching out for. <laughs> I'm always busy. Here's the crazy thing I did. I'll have to email it to you, Chad. Uh, I thought one day it'd be interesting to take a look at all the games Brandon's played against Western Conference opponents. So I ended up doing 15 years, five games, a brief capsule of all 75 games they played since they uh, went to the system where one division visits one year and the other the next year. That's the sort of stuff that I like to do because it interests me. And when I hear back from Wheat Kings fans, I haven't lost them yet. So I keep doing goofy stuff like that and they keep reading it. You, you know, I was worried that Lucas was going to be a bad influence on you and then there it is. <laughs> no, you, you can't go changing me. I'm too old and too set in my ways. Uh, I love digging into the stats, and um, sometimes in the sports industry, you get guilty of you're as good as your last game or you're as good as your next game. This is a Wheat Kings team that started in the 1920s, I believe. There's a lot of history there, and, and I like to do my little part in honoring it um, because I think it's interesting. No, I'm, I'm with you. That just That just really sounds like a Lucas project, that's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's a work with. It's just I've been doing that stuff for eight years here. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, as always, uh, subscribe to your local paper while you still have one, especially if you have one covering this league. And you know the uh, the Sun has a you know uh, embarrassment of riches with uh, the aforementioned Lucas Pancari and 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 you at the helm, there, Perry, and it's a. Uh, it's it's a good thing, and, and the league's a better place for it. Thanks. We try to get the dub in the league or er, in our paper every day. So uh, I know that sets us apart from some papers, but everybody's got their staffing issues and deadline issues, and everybody's got reasons for the things they do. We're just lucky to have, to be able to work in the environment we do. Well, I'm always glad we get to have these stats in the podcast because uh, I miss having them. Uh, up in the booth or over some wings so uh, good to catch up and hopefully I can make that trip out to Brandon again one day that's awesome I buy the nachos love it alright appreciate your time Perry alright thanks boys <laughs>